the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Today, a good friend of America First, somebody who has been speaking truth about national security for decades. He is the national security correspondent for the Washington Times, author most recently of Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. Welcome to One on One, Bill Gertz. Good to be on the show, Sebastian. Bill, um, with with this long-form discussion, um, for those who aren't familiar with our guests, I'd like them to introduce themselves briefly at the start of our discussion before we dive in. So for those who, who don't know who Bill Gertz is, which I find hard to credit, uh, tell them how you got to where you are today and what your career has been today. Just give us a, a little resume of Bill Gertz. Sure. Uh, uh, since 1985, I've been writing and, uh, for The Washington Times uh, as a reporter and columnist. Uh, I was also briefly an editor for a while. Uh, now my title is National Security Columnist uh, Correspondent. In addition to that, I have also been an author and have written eight national security books. Uh, four of them were New York Times bestsellers. Uh, again, the most recent, Deceiving the Sky, really is a, an important primer on the threat posed by communist China. And it follows on a book I wrote 20 years ago called The China Threat, which was a play on what Beijing calls the China Threat Theory. Um, I've been focusing almost exclusively on the threat from China, as well as other national security threats uh, in my uh, career and in my current uh, duties as national security correspondent. So the, the the most recent book is deceiving the deceiving the sky inside communist China's drive for global supremacy, the China threat, uh, also how China's Communist Party made the world sick, and also uh, one that I remember well, enemies, how America's foes steal our vital secrets. These are all books I highly recommend to you guys. Um, let's let's start by setting the scene. I want to talk about what's happened in the last eleven months under the new administration. I want to explain. I want to have you explain to our millions of listeners and viewers across the country just how different Xi Jinping is and the significance of Taiwan. And then, and then we'll discuss other issues like what's happening on the Ukrainian border. But, Bill, let, let's start by winding the clock back a little bit. Let's talk about what changed, how significantly did U.S. Sino policy change when Donald Trump became president? So talk to us about uh, 2017 and the next four years. Uh, yes, it was a, uh, a political earthquake in Washington, D.C. And uh, in my decades uh, covering Washington, uh, Donald Trump came in and shook things up in an extraordinary fashion. And to me, the most significant shakeup was his addressing the problem of uh, communist China. 
Um, he made it clear that uh, he would do business with China, but only when it served American interests. And this was an entirely new concept. Um, the central thesis of our China policy over the past, since the 1980s, has been let's just trade with China, uh, let's ignore their human rights abuses, let's ignore their uh, proliferation of nuclear arms and other weaponry, let's ignore their support for rogue regimes in North Korea and Iran and other places, and that this trade relationship was supposed to have a moderating influence on communist China. Well, it was a spectacular failure. And uh, Donald Trump was the first one to begin to recognize that and change course against uh, much opposition from the established bureaucracy, uh, from the diplomats, from the think tank community. And he, he trudged ahead and pressed ahead and really set the tone for what we're seeing today. There is a broad recognition uh, that China poses the most significant and existential threat to the rules-based international order that we have today. That is freedom and democracy, liberty, individual liberty, individual rights and freedoms. Those are, those are seriously threatened by communist China today. And it's, it's, it's uh, threatened by its leader there, uh, Xi Jinping, who is the supreme leader uh, in journalistic terms, he has to be described only as the president, uh, according to the Associated Press rules. But his title is Supreme Leader and Central Military Commission Leader and General Secretary of the Communist Party. One other quick point. The key, I think, to really confronting the China threat uh, during the Trump administration was the first time, for the first time, there was a recognition in high-level policy circles that the Chinese Communist Party, this evil regime, is not the same as the Chinese people who despise and hate the Chinese Communist Party and want to see it placed in the dustbin of history. I think that was really the critical element, and, and it needs to be kept in place. Who's responsible, Bill? Can, can we point a finger? Can we lay blame on any individual or group that sold this garbage concept that the world's largest communist dictatorship, if we traded with it, it would become more liberal and more democratic. Uh, a lot of people think it's Kissinger, it's Nixon. Others say it was genius to, to peel China off the Soviet Union with the opening uh, to Beijing. It, it, who sold this counterintuitive concept that making... A, a, China economically powerful necessitates, necessitates its democratization. Yeah, I would trace the roots of the false China policy that we've had for so long to uh, the Nixon gambit and Henry Kissinger back in the 70s. Um, it was a strategic gambit to play uh, communist China off the Soviet Union, who uh, posed the greatest strategic threat at that time. And so there was this gambit. Also, the Vietnam War played into uh, an effect there. And so they reached out to Beijing. Beijing swallowed it, but was able to play uh, the United States like a fiddle in terms of policy for what they wanted. Uh, they were looking, uh, they felt threatened by uh, the Soviet Union. There was a divide between Moscow and Beijing. And uh, the Chinese were looking for a way to advance their version of communism. And the U.S. 
jumped aboard, and they, there for a time, uh, the Chinese allowed the United States to operate uh, uh, electronic eavesdropping posts inside Western China that would focus on Soviet missile bases. Uh, fast forward to 1991, the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was never a reevaluation <clears throat> of that policy. And so it, be, it kind of went on autopilot. And the successive elites and academics and the policy community uh, latched onto it. And they said, we've got to continue to support China and hope that this uh, change, this support, this opening to the United States would have the moderating influence. And again, it was, it was a debacle. We, we're now facing uh, the most serious existential threat to our freedoms and liberty that we've ever faced in, in the history of this country since its founding in 1776. And can you explain to us, because this is not the China of Mao or the Great Leap Forward, this isn't a classic Stalinist regime, this is very different. By the time we came into the White House, China's economy was bigger than ours. We changed that with the trade war. But, but what kind of regime is this? Because this isn't classic communist. What is the best way to understand the type of system that exists today in China, Bill? Yeah, I would say that it is a communist system. And again, this has been one of the largest strategic deception operations that has been foisted on the United States over the decades. This notion that China is no longer a communist state because they have adopted quasi-market principles, totally under control of the Communist Party, by the way. Um, th I, I remember uh, being part of a debate in New York City on the threat from China many years ago. And, and one of the panelists was a businessman who said that he has been doing business in China for 20 years and he's never met a communist. Well, <laughs> my, travels, my travels to China showed me just the difference. In fact, I was uh, traveling with secretaries of defense many times there and one time with a vice president. And during one of those visits, we went to the People's Liberation Army Museum. And inside that museum, are statues of Marx, Engels, Lenin, and even Stalin, uh, showing that the roots of this regime remain firmly in the Marxist-Leninist camp. Yeah. Um, it's, it's truly a... Uh, uh, and, and if you look back, every leader uh, since Mao has uh, built their whole policies that China is locked in a death struggle with world capitalism led by the United States. I learned this when I walked into the White House. I was there to do counterterrorism stuff, uh, deal with the threat of ISIS and Iran. Soon as I got my clearances, read the presidential daily brief, I realized the only truly existential strategic threat we face is communist China. President Trump did a great deal to deal with that threat and to limit it. However, that is not the case in the last 11 months. We'll talk about what's happened in the last 11 months. But, Bill, uh, let's. Um, I asked you whether it's a communist state. Of course, it's a communist state, but is it a special kind of communist state? Talk to us about Xi Jinping, the current emperor, really, and how he has changed the system and really how he will be the head until he dies. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, the, the communist system in China is basically very mafia-like. It's run by crime families, uh, communist party families and factions. It's very strongly factional. Uh, we have the party school, China party school faction, 
we have the Shanghai faction, we have the Princeling faction. And uh, that are, is there, the, are there any ideological differences, or are these just power centers that want to be the most powerful? Uh, no ideological differences. They're, they're obviously power for power's sake, right. yes. Uh, uh, Xi Jinping uh, assumed power in 2012. It comes from the Princeling faction. His father was a, a communist leader who was repressed during the Cultural Revolution, and Xi Jinping never felt that that was wrong. He, he's, a, he's a firm believer in Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics, and he has begun to re-ideologize uh, uh, the communist ideology in China. He has something that he's adopted. He calls it the China dream, which I call the China nightmare. And this is that uh, China has been uh, biding its time and building its capabilities, as the previous leader, Deng Xiaoping, once said. It's no longer biding its time. It's now in an expansionist mode. Uh, it does not distinguish between its commercial enterprises and its military strategic enterprises, which are uh, combined together as part of things like the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, the Digital Silk Road. And it's China's effort now to use its newfound wealth, which was gained uh, mostly as a result of favorable relations with the United States, uh, entry into the World Trade Organization. The United States backed a communist regime that was on its last legs in the 70s and bailed it out on numerous occasions following the Tiananmen massacre in 1989, where it, it was clearly there were uh, widespread, even internal Communist Party opposition to the communist system. So now we're seeing, a uh, again, the, uh, what they actually call a neo-Maoism uh, in China, led by Xi Jinping. He's made himself a uh, dictator for life. He's eliminated the term limits, and uh, he's moving ahead with a massive military buildup that's going to be the coercive force for its political and economic expansionism. And what is the end goal? Let, let's bring this all back home so people understand that this is an, an issue on the other side of the globe. This is relevant to all Americans, Bill. Tell us what the Chinese regime's objective is with relation to the United States. It is global supremacy. Uh, China sees itself, again, through its communism, through its uh, tying that to Chinese history and Chinese nationalism, they are seeking to replace the United States and its democratic ideals and values with, a com with communist values, uh, Marxist-Leninist values. Uh, so if China takes over the world, uh, say goodbye to freedom of expression, say goodbye to a free and open Internet, and be prepared for the worst kind of repression. Uh, I used to say that the regime in China was a uh, nuclear-armed communist dictatorship. Well, we can now add to that a genocidal nuclear-armed communist dictatorship. Yeah. That is, we're seeing genocide being carried out, and yet uh, there's still no outcry. They're still going ahead and allowing this regime to have a, a, an Olympic Games coming up. Incredible. How much of a tripwire is Taiwan, Bill? Are you expecting something imminent? Uh, we had uh, Biden make empty threats to China. They didn't stop their uh, air incursions. So what are you expecting in the near future? Uh, very tense right now. Um, uh, last week, I wrote a story for The Washington Times on this, which talked about two senior officials, one from the Pentagon, one from the State Department, 
talking about China being the pacing threat and the attack on Taiwan being the most significant threat within that threat. Uh, and we've had uh, commanders of the Indo-Pacific Command, both the outgoing one and the incoming one, say it, it isn't a question of, uh, of if, it's only a matter of when the Chinese are going to move against Taiwan. Now, they don't want to do it militarily, obviously, for uh, the cost that it will incur. And again, the U.S. is trying to help Taiwan uh, increase those costs so that they can deter them. But China is using gray uh, warfare, uh, covert warfare, information warfare, intelligence warfare, unrestricted warfare, as the two colonels from 1999 yeah. wrote. We're seeing that play out in spades uh, across the 110-mile Taiwan Strait. You mentioned, Bill, um, the word genocide. You mentioned the absurdity. As, as the child of those who escaped a communist regime, my father escaping a, a communist political prison, the idea that not only we're doing trade with communist China, the fact that we celebrate amateur sportsmen and women with them in China just blows my mind. Will you talk to us about the reality of living in China, why you will use the word genocide, why the word labor camp is absolutely relevant, just how Stalinistic or Maoist is China in 2021? Uh, it's unbelievably uh, a crime against humanity. Um, and it was in January of this year that the State Department under Mike Pompeo uh, issued this declaration of genocide, yeah. and it was done. It's a, it's a, it's a legal terminology. It's not something that is done lightly, um, and it's the result of uh, mass repression against Uyghur Muslims in western China. They call their their place occupied East Turkestan. The Chinese call it Xinjiang, which is in western China, and the numbers, uh, official numbers, are between one and two million people have been placed in concentration camps in order to obliterate their culture, their being, and these people who are regarded as enemies of the state. Uh, I spoke with a, a Uyghur dissident uh, recently, uh, said that the, uh, that the numbers are more like seven to eight million rather than one to two million. So we're seeing that. The same type of thing is happening, but in a different way in Tibet, where Tibetan Buddhists uh, loyal to the Dalai Lama are seeking independence from uh, China, which invaded that country and took it over uh, in 1959. And uh, now we're seeing this, uh, the world wake up to this. So uh, the idea that the Biden administration would do a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics is uh, a, a weak step. There should be, we should not allow uh, our athletes to go there because of this regime. We should not allow uh, television stations to broadcast those games. Uh, it's it's similar to uh, Nazi Germany conducting uh, the 38 uh, Olympics in Germany, again, which promoted and, and catapulted Adolf Hitler to status. He used them as a propaganda tool. The Chinese but, are doing the same kind of thing. But it's not just uh, ethnic or religious minorities, Bill. Anybody can fall afoul of the regime, and, and the, the social credit system means that anybody can become a target overnight, correct? Yes. Uh, China is using technology that it has imported and stolen from the West to create a mass surveillance system, including what they call a social credit system. The social credit system is a political tool of repression 
that's modeled after the U.S. credit system. So when you go to buy a car or buy a house, uh, you go through a credit check. And in that credit check, uh, you can find out everything you know, whether the person is qualified financially. In China, we now have a political uh, social credit system, which is used to identify so-called regime, anti-regime elements, dissidents, others, religious believers. Uh, anyone considered a threat to the Communist Party is repressed through this mass surveillance system. You can't buy a train ticket. You can't buy an airline ticket. Uh, your children can't go to uh, schools. You can't send them to college. Um, and this is, uh, this is what in, is in store for the world unless China is stopped, unless it's, it's pressured back, unless the Communist Party is removed. Uh, you know, even under the Trump administration, the State Department bureaucrats uh, fought against uh, many of uh, the president, that president's hardline policies and argued instead of uh, getting rid of the Communist Party, going back to the bide our time, build our capabilities, economic policies under Deng Xiaoping. They, di they haven't recognized that it's not just uh, this uh, uh, system, that, that it's really the communist system itself that needs to be replaced with a, uh, a much more friendly uh, uh, system. So let's look forward. You've given us the threat assessment bill. Let's uh, analyze what needs to be done. First things first, when you look at the pronouncements of the most senior U.S. military official, Mark Milley, when he says on record in front of a camera, China is not our enemy, what is your response? Uh, it's uh, astounding. I've never seen anything like it in my 35 years in Washington. Uh, the fact that the highest military advisor to the president uh, made some incredible statements in public, including revealing that in his private conversations with his Chinese military counterpart, a General Lee, that he told that general that the United States had no intention of attacking uh, uh, China, and that if it did, we would let them know in advance. Uh, this is absolutely unprecedented for a senior military officer to be so naive, to be so stupid, as to inform his Chinese counterpart of such a, uh, an event. And this was all done based on some bogus Pentagon intelligence claiming that the Chinese through, had misperceived that the United States yeah. was going to attack it. It was just outrageous. A truly outrageous. The man who should be in the brig today, that's Mark Milley, a disgrace, an individual who uh, undermined the U.S. national security and went outside the chain of command as chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, Bill, talk to us about inside China, because this has to be part of any response we have. Is, is there a nascent resistance? Is there a, a dissident population? Is there anybody who, if there were such an opportunity, could challenge the regime? Uh, it's very difficult to say. There has been mass repression and, again, a massive crackdown. I can remember back in 2012 that you could find various voices on the Chinese social media, and I monitored that as best I could through uh, translated uh, systems. Uh, there was a vibrant exchange and uh, free speech and criticism even of the Communist Party. That has all been eliminated. Uh, anyone uh, on social media that is even perceived as being anti-Communist Party of China is immediately eliminated. And so it's very difficult to tell. 
That said, uh, there are efforts going on right now to develop information warfare tools. And, and I can tell you that the U.S. government is behind this to be able to identify and develop, uh, again, a dissident uh, movement that could eventually take over and create a free China. How culpable, when, when you look at the, 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 the clampdown inside China, the fact that you know Tiananmen Square as an event has been erased from the internal internet inside China. If you try looking for it, you will probably get arrested. How culpable are American companies in creating that dystopian Orwellian reality? Companies look like Google. How much are Americans helping this regime, Bill? Yeah, I'd say it's a, it's still a problem. Uh, during the Trump administration, there was a, a great deal of reevaluation among the business community. A, a, a large segment of the business community did say, uh, this is not working out. We're not going to be making millions and billions of dollars here. Uh, so, a lot, for example, many of the banks, American banks, are no longer seeking to try and do business in China. But other American financial institutions, which have been really pushing for policy changes are still trying to basically prop up this regime through development of business ties inside of China. I think the big problem is, uh, even in the Trump administration, uh, there was a recognition for the first time that China is a so-called strategic competitor. Uh, and that was a compromise because the business community and the rest of uh, we had so much invested. We had sent so many of our businesses to China that they didn't want to cut it off immediately. We need to identify China as a, a existential threat and enemy and from that point begin to decouple. Uh, some of that is happening. Some of that decoupling is taking place. Uh, but on the other hand, there are still a large financial American financial companies and others that are seeking to do business and do business according to communist Chinese terms. As the person who tracks these things so closely, who's literally written the book, Deceiving the Sky, on these issues, amongst the many others, can you give us your... Great. Can you tell us about the last 11 months from the disastrous Anchorage uh, summit to today? How, how does China, let's do the red teaming, how does Beijing look at the Biden administration, Bill? Well, they have uh, correctly assessed that there are deep divisions within the Biden administration on China policy. Uh, on the one hand, you have what I call the Kurt Campbell faction. Kurt Campbell is the White House national security person who's in charge of, is considered the China policy czar. On the other hand, you have John Kerry and the radical left uh, environmentalists who want to put aside all differences with China and focus on the uh, alleged uh, problem of climate change, which they consider an existential crisis, not the Chinese Communist Party. And so these two policies are clashing within that administration. Uh, we've seen some good steps, uh, and I would point to Taiwan, where uh, the administration has not backed down on the issue of Taiwan and uh, helping Taiwan build up its defenses to find asymmetric weapons. But on many other fronts, uh, the radical left uh, within the Biden administration is going to try to make a common cause with the communist regime and put all other differences aside. The policy right now of the Biden administration is, uh, has been announced as, well, we're going to cooperate where we can, and we're going to compete 
where we can't agree. The Chinese will not operate that way, and they've stated clearly there's not going to be a, a partial cooperation. They view the United States as their main enemy. They're working to destroy the United States, and this reality is lost on uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry, who is the climate czar. He's completely clueless about the dangers that we're facing right now. Yeah, and, and the idea that you have... Uh you know, polite summits, uh, sitting at tables with nice, clean, starched tablecloths uh, with a country that wishes to see you uh, subjugated makes no sense at all. OK, last two big questions for you. They're the real so what questions, uh, Bill. Let's start with what is China's greatest vulnerability or what are they most afraid of? Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're, they're most afraid of uh, uh, their illegitimacy as a rulers, as rulers, um, and and to me, uh, the the way to ultimately deter and defeat the Communist Party of China is to focus on the Communist Party. Uh, during the Trump administration, I urged the State Department to produce an official State Department white paper on the Chinese Communist Party, its crimes, its history its goals and objectives. And it was completely crushed by the bureaucrats in the State Department. Uh, I think that this is the first step that needs to be done. You have to identify the problem. And once that is done concretely, once we end the self-deception about China, we can't say that it's not a threat anymore, which we used to hear. And, and uh, I can remember former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, when she was Secretary of State, announcing that we want a strong China. Well, we don't want a strong China anymore. We need to work against this regime. We need to highlight its uh, vulnerabilities, and its key vulnerability is its illegitimacy. The Chinese people, they do not want to be ruled by this regime. They have seen the free and open societies of the West, and they want to live like that. Yeah. And last question to you, Bill. Uh, it's always the most important so what when it comes to national security. Let's say there's a new president or rather an old president who comes back into the White House. My former boss, uh, President Trump, who initiated the trade war with China. What is the first thing you'd like him to do uh, come 2024 and his inauguration in 2025? Well, I think that the very first thing that needs to be done under a new administration is to hold communist China accountable for creating the COVID pandemic, the Wu flu pandemic uh, that has killed millions of people and, and caused billions, if not trillions, in damage. Uh, the Biden administration has totally ignored China's role in this pandemic and its cause. Uh, it doesn't even matter whether it came from uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology or from a wet market. China is responsible and they need to be held accountable. I think that's got to be yeah. the number one priority for the next administration. M millions killed across the globe, 800,000 here in America alone. And the fact that there is no official investigation in Congress or anywhere else is truly stunning. Superb analysis. Well, of course, it's from Bill Gertz. Follow him at Bill Gertz uh, on Twitter. Get his book, Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. And also read all his writings at The Washington Times. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. Charles Blow, the very liberal columnist for the New York Times, recently wrote a column entitled, We're Edging Closer to Civil War. On the possibility of the Supreme Court's reversal of the Roe v. Wade decision, he wrote, quote, In some ways, the abortion battle now being waged in the courts is a test case. Can the states make an argument that a civil right can be reversed on the state level? Can they make the case that all the Constitution does not explicitly spell out should be reserved for the states? Well, oddly enough, Mr. Blow, the answer is yes and yes, sort of. The pro-life argument is not that the right to abortion is a civil right that ought to be put on hold or reversed. The pro-life argument is that abortion was never a right rightly understood. The right to abortion is not a civil right at all. It isn't now. It never was. The Supreme Court declared it a right in 1973, but the justices knew they were inventing a right that was never imaginable in the United States Constitution. And yes, Mr. Blow, powers not delegated by the Constitution to the federal government are reserved for the state's respectively. That, after all, is the Tenth Amendment. I'm reading the U.S. Constitution. I'm Albert Moeller. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.